You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down the threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems and protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. a person who monitors Twitter quite a bit and I started to see noise from um, Brian Krebs on Mastodon talking about this new um, zero-day vulnerability in a file transfer application called Go Anywhere MFT and I'd never heard of that before. Our guests this week are Emily Austin and Himaja Motheram from security company Census. They're sharing their research Months after first go-anywhere MFT zero-day attacks, Census still sees approximately 180 public admin panels. It is advertised as this kind of enterprise file transfer application. That's Himaja Motheram. And when we did a little bit of digging into how the service is documented, it seems that it's really intended for sensitive data. It's compliant with a lot of different data protection guidelines and standards. And the types of organizations that we see impacted by breaches are, you know, big enterprise uh, organizations like healthcare institutions, financial institutions, governments even. So a pretty hefty product. So let's dig into uh, the timeline here. Where did this begin? And, and uh, again, how did, how did you all decide to, to head down this path of research? I think this really started gaining traction in early February um, when the zero day was disclosed. The actual security advisory was hidden behind like a customer portal login. And so most of the the talk about it came from Twitter, but what really made the story start to jump in discussion was around mid-February, the ransomware gang Klopp, which has you know Russian ties, claimed that it had breached 
130 organizations using this exploit. And so that raised some bells. And at first, that claim couldn't really be corroborated by any um, sources. But as time went on, on the organization's data leak site, um, it appears that their, their claim might have some truth to it. And so far, you know, maybe two days ago, there are over 20 organizations that have publicly come forward as being, um, having like been affected by this exploit. Can we talk about the vulnerability itself? What, what is the specific issue here? So it appears to be a remote code execution vulnerability in the admin panel interface of the Go Anywhere MFT application. So web client interfaces are not affected, but there's an RCE exploit in the licensing server of admin panel interfaces. And admin panels are, in this case, I would consider them, you know, critical infrastructure. And they offer an interface into, you know, this this very sensitive data and so really have no business being exposed to the public internet. But um, we see a lot of them are exposed to the public internet, you know, be it through misconfigurations or maybe some of these were intentionally exposed for some reason or another. But a lot of instances of of these admin panels are um, are accessible to this RCE exploit because they're um, they're public facing and would be honestly pretty trivial for even an amateur threat actor to discover. And so what has Fortress' response been here as this was brought to their attention? Yeah, so their response has been um, a little bit criticized because, again, like I said, they hid their security advisory behind a login wall at the beginning. A little bit after that, they did release a patch in version 7.1.2 and offered some other mitigation uh, suggestions for customers. But um, over the course of the past three months, they they have misled some customers into believing their data was safe when it wasn't. And um, only recently, maybe in late April, they published an investigation two months after the disclosure. But the response that we're seeing from you know the affected organizations is that they, they didn't quite feel like they were being well-informed about how their instances were affected by this vulnerability. And your own research here looks into how many organizations are, are still exposed here, right? Yes. Can you lay that out for us? What, what did you find? Yeah. So at the beginning, you know, early February, we saw a lot of admin panels online. We saw around like 300 and almost 330 um, of these admin panels that were publicly exposed and showed indications of running versions that were vulnerable, versions earlier than 7.1.2. Right after that that security advisory and some of the, the discussion on Twitter started peaking on February 2nd, we saw that number drop dramatically from, you know, around 332, maybe like 250. And since then, we've kind of seen this, this very slow, steady decrease in that number of exposed hosts that look like they're running vulnerable versions. Um, and as of, you know, two days ago on, on May 15th, we see 50. And so that's encouraging that it's, it's dropped so much from when the original zero day was disclosed. But 50 admin panels online, that, that, those could be the portal to a wealth 
of sensitive data that could infect millions of people. So we're still concerned about how this patching rate is starting to kind of plateau over the past couple of weeks. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Emily, I, I'm interested in, in your insights here as well. Uh, what is your take on the information you've gathered here? Yeah. So, so one thing I'd like to to point out, you know, we're talking about this vulnerability. That's Emily Austin. In in context, you know, several other researchers have published really excellent um, reviews and kind of deep dives into the remote code execution exploit itself. And so, where I think we really have a lot to offer, and as Himaja has kind of just walked through is being able to look at this vulnerability and others that have some kind of, you know, public internet-facing artifact available, um, you know, a login page, uh, a ransom note on a public-facing um, service. We can see those things and we can kind of zoom out a little bit and take a more macro look at the state of um the vulnerability as it might be uh, across the internet. You know, what are the potential ramifications of this vulnerability if it were exploited to the maximum potential, right? You know, Mm -hmm. how many devices do we see that could potentially fall victim to it? And so that's been really interesting to track here and see over time, you know, how we've been able to see this go from, um, you know, this dramatic decrease initially and then just kind of tapering off slowly. And we're kind of still seeing these still hanging around. Um, So it's been interesting to see that. And it also kind of ties back to this whole idea, you know, of security hygiene. Um, I know that's something that we we talk about a lot and it's something that, you know, it's not exciting necessarily, but asset management, understanding the, the devices that are within your organization's purview, like that's really important. Um, and understanding, you know, I think the, the go anywhere, um, their initial advisory said, you know, most of these instances should be behind a VPN or a firewall of some kind, but there's also this implication that some of them aren't and they're aware of that. And, you know, we see evidence of that in our data. And so I think being aware of those things as an administrator of these tools is really important. But yeah, so I think what's really cool about what we've been able to do here is looking at this vulnerability kind of on a global scale and saying, okay, well, what are the potential ramifications of this? Um, you know, how many organizations do we see that potentially could still be affected by it? And, and when you look at that, well, what do you see? What what conclusions have you all come to? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think really the big thing is we're seeing that organizations just aren't necessarily prioritizing asset management, patch management, and vulnerability management. You know, we talk a ton about new exploits and things that that get released, but really, and this was kind of a perfect storm, right? So you have this zero day in a device who are in a, in a service rather, um, whose admin pages oftentimes are exposed to the internet unprotected. So it's kind of this like perfect mix of you, you do have a zero day and you have something improperly exposed to the internet that just makes it really trivial, as Hima just said, to, to exploit and, um, you know, 
cause havoc, steal data, and do what you will. You know, Himage, I'm curious. Certainly not all patches are created equal and everybody's situation is different of the, you know, the infrastructure that they're running. Is there anything particularly burdensome in this update that you see that would cause uh, people to lag behind or delay making the updates? That's a great question. Um, and I don't know the particular intricacies of the patch that that might relate to that. But my hypothesis is honestly that we're seeing this patch rate plateau mostly because a lot of these assets are probably exposed unintentionally is my is my guess and that mm. some of them might even be you know old or legacy infrastructure that has just been kind of abandoned or maybe their service owners are not quite clear in the organization and they're they're kind of these endpoints that are just left without any any tending because applying the patch is is like Emily said a part of basic security hygiene and it's it's pretty a pretty simple process when you know what to apply it to. So I'm thinking that these assets are kind of those unknown unknowns in an organization potentially. And that's why um, these basic security hygiene practices aren't being fulfilled. Emily, based on the information that you all have gathered here, what are your recommendations? I think you could probably guess they're not going to be exciting. They're going to be beyond like go anywhere specifically, right? Like get it off of the internet. If it's on the internet, if it's exposed to the internet, the admin panel specifically, patch it to version 7.1.2. That's go anywhere specifically, but just more broadly speaking, you know, again, understanding what assets are within your organization's control, like the things that you do own, getting a handle on that. It's not an easy process, but it's really, really important. So because you can't, you can't manage vulnerabilities or patches if you don't know all of the things that you need to patch or manage, right? So I think those are really critical pieces of a security program. They're critical pieces of, you know, strong security posture. And so just being aware of those things that are those like kind of back office applications, things that, you know, are, you know, essential to business function as a tool like this is uh, allowing you to transfer data between organizations or within an organization. Yeah. So I think figuring out if you own any of these, these devices, understanding where they are in your network and understanding that, that something needs to be done about them, they do need to be kept off of the public internet, right? I think that's a huge piece here. And so all of those things come together to kind of help you create a stronger security posture for your organization. Our thanks to Hima Jamatharam and Emily Austin from Census for joining us. The research is titled Months After First Go Anywhere MFT Zero Day Attacks, Census Still Sees Approximately 180 Public Admin Panels. We'll have a link in the show notes. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. 
With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Elliot Peltzman. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. (laughs) 